Welcome to Think Like a Penguin, The Art of Flying. This is the podcast to help you think outside the box, live more confidently against the grain and become your more authentic self. Penguins don't traditionally fly, but what's to say they won't one day? Welcome back to the pod and thanks for joining me for this topic, which is all about teachers teaching, the importance of teaching, how we're all teachers in our own right, even if we're not officially stood in front of a classroom full of students, and the importance and role that influence plays on everyone in our close circle and our people that follow us, people that are under our care, and just basically teachers in general, which is every single one of us, whether we like it or not. And in this episode, I'm going to chat to my sister, which is really special. I um, have been in front of her classroom once. I went over last year and I taught some art to her primary school students, year six students. And she has been a teacher for over 10 years. So the first half will be me just waddling on about my ideas around teaching and the importance of teachers. And then I will cut across to my recording with her, which I'm really looking forward to. I'll do that in a couple of days. So I'm just gonna set the scene. I am currently lay on my Shakti mat, and um, that is because I have just finished painting a school. A Shakti mat, if you don't know, is a mat with loads of plastic spikes sticking out of it, and I lie on it with bare skin so that I can try and relieve the muscles in my back. So after a full week of painting a school, I am a little bit sore in the shoulders, in the neck, in the back, so I'm lying down as I record this episode. And why I want to talk about teachers, partly is because I do a lot of work in schools, um, but I also have have had the privilege in the last three weeks of completing my youth mental health first aid, and I did that alongside all the teachers well, not all the teachers, sorry, about 30 staff members and teachers at Applecross Senior School. And it just got me really thinking about those fundamental years when we learn life skills, when we learn emotional regulation, when we learn how to go about um, embarking on teenage years and then after that, adolescent years and onto adulthood. So teachers have a huge role in people's lives and for some people, for some uh, children, they see their teachers more than they see their caregivers, whether they're at boarding school or their parents are just absent through to work or they've got um, maids at home or if they see their parents sporadically. There's loads of reasons why, but those, you know, nine to five, or not, maybe more like nine to three, um, is pretty much the time when kids are around teachers and not other caregivers. So a huge amount of time. I probably should have done the equation of how much time you have with each teacher. Um, But it's a lot, as we know. So teachers have a huge role and it is a privilege Um, And it is an importance that I don't think we necessarily put enough emphasis on in our society. So if you're listening to this podcast, it's probably because you're interested in mental health, in bettering yourself, self-development, self-awareness, 
um, you're probably a deep thinker or at least just trying to gain some insight and wisdom on how to help in various areas of your life. Um, and so to me, it seems quite remarkable that potentially a lot of people don't necessarily think of the importance or highlight the importance of teachers in their children's lives, but also the impact that they have had on their own lives. So I just want you to take a minute now and think back to two staff members, two teachers in your childhood, one that made a huge positive impact on your life and one that maybe deterred you from doing a subject or made your learning experience challenging or had a negative impact or you just didn't like them or you were scared of them or you just didn't feel like they added value to your school experience. Now I'm not going to name and shame the one main teacher that comes to mind for me, in fact there's more than one in the negative space, but I will absolutely rave about two particular teachers that have fundamentally changed my life. So as we know, I was anorexic throughout my secondary school and I had a couple of years in hospital and then I went back to a school that was predominantly a boys school but I um, joined when they started taking in female students and my art teacher, Miss Jukes, now Miss Berry, Mrs Berry, opened up the art room as a safe space for me at lunch times and any time that I needed to just get away and decompress, vent or just feel like I was in a safe environment, that art room was open for me and the care and genuine compassion she showed me, I was this little, she always describes me as a little flake, so it's a little flake of a thing, still very underweight and, and just this little lost soul and she completely took me under her wing. And my deputy headmaster at that time, um, Nigel Lawson, who is still to this day a very good friend, which might sound strange. He is in his 60s, I think. He looks much younger, so I never actually know how old he is, but he's um, probably half, uh, double my age. But again, an incredible influence on my life because he introduced the concepts of spirituality, tarot, energy, enneagrams, auras, anything a little bit otherworldly he introduced um, into my consciousness. I had no idea of these things when I was at school. So these two individuals went above and beyond just teaching and I think it's important to acknowledge and I heard the headmaster at Applecross say this about three months ago and it's it stayed with me that primary school teachers tend to love kids they love their students. They love engaging with and developing and, and inspiring kids. And as a general rule, secondary school teachers and um, further education, so university and so on, love subjects. So there's this really challenging period in a child's life as a student where they go from experiencing on a subtle, probably subconscious level that they are the focus, they are the thing that the teacher loves, to then having to be uh, kind of put second to a love of a subject that is then being taught to them. And it is at, 
ironically, the most fundamental time when they need to be probably a little bit more nurtured. So those teenage years, the, the, the major transition that's happening in a child's life at that point, puberty, going through growth spurts, going through social changes, hormones. That very time is when teachers, unfortunately, um, probably aren't as engaged in the welfare and well-being of the student, more engaged in trying to pass on their passion for whatever subject that they teach. And obviously, or maybe not obviously, but primary school teachers will teach everything so they have the same students for the whole year, whereas obviously students go in to different classrooms with different teachers for every single subject once they get to that secondary school age. So I asked at this mental health, um, youth mental health qualification, I asked a group of teachers, a room full of teachers, do you think that parents expect teachers to be responsible for life skills, mental health, well-being? Or do you think parents think that that is their responsibility and not the responsibility of the school? And shockingly, the teachers have said that they all feel as secondary school um, teachers, so they're, remember their focus is a subject, that they still believe that the parents expect them to pass on life skills, wisdom, um, emotional regulation, mental health awareness, um, and do all of the the kind of the work around sculpting an individual, um, as well as obviously help their their kids and students get good grades and understand a subject and um, develop skills in a certain topic and area. So we put so much pressure on teachers and I'm sure there's some parents listening to this who are like, well, hang on a minute, I fully take responsibility for empowering my own children. I see that as a responsibility as a parent to pass on wisdom and life skills. Um, I don't expect that from my teachers, but vast majority of teachers are saying that they feel the pressure from parents or not even a pressure, but just that parents don't even think about it. They don't see that that is necessarily solely up to them as parents. They expect the teachers also to compliment. So really challenging because obviously there are so many different cultures, beliefs, um, things, morals, values, opinions that can be taught. Things like a subject like math is fact. You either get the answer right or you get the answer wrong. Something a little bit like art or music, a little bit less black and white. So there's still a little bit of wiggle room there. But we're talking, or I want to talk about mental health, well-being, life skills. And you have to trust, if we are expecting teachers to be passing on some of this, we have to trust that what they're saying matches with what we would ideally be teaching our kids ourselves which is very challenging when you pick a school because not all teachers are going to have the same views and opinions and morals. I still find it quite um, not uncomfortable it's not that that big but I find it a little bit interesting when it's a religious school because I I mean like yesterday I was at a school um, in Northern they'd lost a couple of kids to suicide, which is horrific. So we went up and did a mental health day for the staff and the teachers. And I 
um, noticed how much they referred to God and, and following that religion. Fine, great, awesome. Like we all need things to um, seek solace in and, and connection with, and we need spirituality. As long as all those students also being taught other ways, other religions, other ways of thinking, other spiritual outlets, which I don't think is necessarily the case. I think there is a risk in in schools that one mentality or one viewpoint is taught and maybe as a token gesture just to tick a couple of boxes a few other concepts are shared but really it's just whatever the culture is of that school that is what is taught to all the students and I'm thinking of my own experience I went to a Christian school and I feel awful that I can't remember I think it's Roman Catholic I know that we did prayers every morning I know that we did um yeah we went to a cathedral. I can't remember which type of Christianity it was. Obviously, obviously, I didn't learn that very much. But I remember watching one video on Gandhi. One video. And I think it stood out and it stayed with me. And I can even picture the video. There's like um, old big VHS is like put in this massive TV. I think I can remember it because it was so different to all the other teachings. And it just blew my mind that there was a whole different way of um, thinking around religion and spirituality. Um, and I'm sure that they intentionally only showed one video on Gandhi. I don't remember learning about um, any other religions at all, even though we had RE lesson, which should have obviously encompassed all religion. Anyway, the point I'm making is that we need to be really careful that we don't just be narrow-minded with our teaching. And I'm going to be broad here and talk about parents, adults, people of influence, um, schools, not just teachers, but all adults that have kids that copy and follow them. We need to make sure that we aren't prescribing very narrow-minded um, views and opinions because little kids, and I've said this before, are absolute sponges. When you come out into the world as a fresh little baby, you are an absolute blank canvas. And we develop into the people that we are based on what we see, what we hear, what we experience, people's um, views and opinions and morals and values, and they are passed on to us. So if I was born into a French family who was um, Muslim and who had... Um, I don't know, completely... I can't even think, but completely different views, obviously... I would not be having the same mindset as I do now. I'm very cautious to teach myself new ideals, new opinions. I intentionally engage with people who have very opposing views to me because I want to teach myself different ways of looking at the world. I never want to get so narrow-minded that I, I'm so opinionated that I don't take on an, another point of view or another opinion. Everything is just perspective. And I when I had to overcome anorexia and realized that I had to retrain my thinking around food and, and activity and exercise, I had to teach myself new ways of thinking. And I want to make sure I continue that. I never want to be just so defiant on something that I can't appreciate the other side. So basically what I'm trying to say is 
it's really important that we teach people all the options, all the views, all the opinions, all the all the different ways that we can think about something. I find it very confronting when someone is fixated, fanatical um, about something that they can't or they won't allow themselves to consider another option. Um, also, I feel like my education was perhaps a little bit close-minded and small. Um, and it was a freaking massive shock when I came out of school. And no one had taught me about other worldly big issues, partly because we didn't have a TV at home, I'm sure. So I never really saw the news. Um, and that is a very good way to get information. I would say it's really corrupt and really... Um, dangerous to watch the news a lot because it's really um, shit and you don't feel great watching it so it's a whole other argument but we didn't have much exposure to the other worldly things going on and I just feel sad for my younger self that it was such a shock coming out into life and I'd been completely um, wrapped in cotton wool around worldly issues such as death and poverty and war and political differences and racial differences and like things that matter no offense but learning algebra or how to calculate the scale of t or whatever I don't even know what I'm saying why does that matter I want to learn about life and people and behavior and different ways and views and thinking so yes I'm going to stop harping on about this point, but we need to make sure that we are broadening the horizon of those people that we want to teach. And we need to broaden our own horizon. You're only going to inform and enforce views you already have if you hang out with people that have the exact same views as you. So welcome different opinions, welcome different people, welcome different experiences, newness into your life. And then you're going to expand and become a much more complete rounded individual um I just don't think we should ever stop learning I think that's one of the joys of life is to constantly learn how did I start this podcast I had no idea how to record a podcast I didn't, didn't know you had to change the format of it I didn't know how to edit it I didn't know how to upload it onto a podcast platform I didn't know you then had to get a kind of a page and then you put it into the world and like Spotify I teach myself learn new things that's the joy of it and I think if we stop learning um then we stop living really so mental health really important and my target audience I think are the youth predominantly obviously I want to work in community as well and I'm really passionate about getting kids at that age where they're still curious there's still, there's still a little bit of room to influence and to create a spark of curiosity. They haven't become so fixated and stuck in their ways. Try teaching your parents or uh, someone who's retired something new. Very challenging. Partly I'm thinking something physical, so like a new physical skill, really hard. Take a kid skiing when they're three and they'll just fall over a couple of times and they get it, they're balanced. Take a, take a seven-year-old skiing for the first time, way more challenging. But also try teaching an older person new ways of thinking, really freaking hard because neural pathways have been set, experience 
con conscious bias has set in. They've done the same thing loads and loads and loads of times to reconfirm what they already believe. So getting kids when they're sort of between the ages of, I think, 11 to 17, where they're in that prime maturity plus curiosity plus they haven't had so much life experience to validate their beliefs is absolutely crucial. And what sort of things do we need to teach them? Resilience, gratitude, kindness, perspective, and authenticity would be my top five. There's loads of things I try and teach um, when I go into schools and do life skills and art therapy. But I think these five are really, really important and I'm going to quickly go through why. Resilience. I am really worried for our next generation that kids these days seems to not have the opportunity to fail, to have to figure things out, to have to be bored so that they can learn imagination and come up with new ways to play, that they have life pretty damn easy. I don't know unless you're below the poverty line that there's that many kids that go hungry, that have to work hard. I remember my first um, purchase, my first pair of shoes, I worked from the age of 12. I had to earn those myself. And so then I appreciated the value of them. And I earned them by doing selling a raffle ticket at a rugby club. And it was snowing my first shift. And I was freezing cold and I could barely peel the raffle ticket out of the, pa the pack because my fingers were so cold. But resilience, like it, it, it has made me who I am today. Um, I don't know, it just... I don't know enough about the different schools, the different teaching, different techniques, but I do feel like kids aren't as robust. Um, we've got so much health and safety, we've got many rules and regulations. I remember at our school, you were only allowed to leave school if it was under 13 degrees in the classroom. We never left school. We even took thermometers in and it was definitely under 13 degrees and you could see your breath in the classroom. We never left school. Now it's perfectly air-conditioned, sports cancelled if it's above 35 degrees, all these things. So I think we need to be teaching resilience and there's ways to do that without endangering kids. I think we need to give kids less um, gadgets. We need to give kids more free time, more unstructured, unsupervised play. So they have to take risks and they have to learn to stand on their own feet. I think we need to encourage healthy interactions and conflicts so they learn how to um, problem solve, how they socialise. Um, yes, I think there's a lot more we can do to harness more resilience in kids. And I mean, don't get me started on physical resilience. We were never allowed a day off. Um, I remember getting pneumonia in Austria. We went on a school ski trip. And we got a coach there. So it was a, essentially two days, one night, two days in a coach. Um, I didn't sleep. I was already getting on well with anorexia. So um, I was a little bit weak. Got there. Um, there was this bug went through the hotel. I didn't realise that the staff member was coming around and getting everybody um, checked out by the doctor. I missed that. Got up onto the slopes the next day, collapsed, had to get a skidoo all the way down, spent two nights in hospital, got the coach home, and the very next day I was sent back to school. <laughs> Maybe not ideal, and probably an extreme example, 
But every day for that week, I was sent to school, the school sent me home. I was sent to school, the school sent me home. Nowadays, if you have a sniffly little runny nose, sorry, we're going to have to get your mum to come collect you. Or, you know, you've got, I don't know, even if it's your birthday, take the day off from school. I don't, it doesn't, it's not really um, teaching kids that they've got to work hard, um, deal with adverse conditions. That means that if a kid then turns into an adult and has a little sniffly cold or a hangover, then they're just going to not go to work. It just, to me, seems like we're a little bit soft on our kids. And I'm sure there's some of you listening to this thinking, oh, wow, okay, that child, or that adult, as in me, is trying to justify my childhood. But I am definitely very hardworking and I um, am very resilient, extremely physically resilient, emotionally resilient. And um, yeah, I, I have no doubt my childhood and what I was taught as a kid um, has had led to that resilience. Gratitude, uh, yeah, I just don't think kids potentially, and I'm talking about children specifically, but this is true for adults as well, I think, um, that we just do not appreciate how fortunate we are. If you are listening to this podcast, you are going to be in the top 1% of wealth nat- um, worldwide. Most um, people have had a very cushy existence and we almost take it for granted, unfortunately. If you have had a um, a good meal today, if you have water when you need, when you have clean water, if you have food on um, your plate, clothes on your back, so on and so on and so on, we are immensely privileged. We have won the life lottery being born in this country um, or wherever you're listening to this. And I just don't think we practice gratitude enough. We are kind of programmed to look at comparison and to find fault in ourselves, to be jealous of others, to look for what we don't have, to focus on the negatives. I think we just need to focus on all those things that we can be grateful for. And there are so many. So if you're struggling to think of five right now, then I recommend doing a gratitude journal and I think this is fantastic to teach kids over the dinner table if you don't know what to talk about at whatever age they are every child whether they're five or 15 should be able to and can be encouraged to name three things they're grateful for that day and it's just a conversation starter it breeds more gratitude and it's a really lovely practice to teach to um, kids which will hopefully then they will take on into adult life as well kindness um it breaks my heart the amount of experiences that i've had where children have just been vile like evil children can be so hurtful and i think we were speaking about bullying yesterday actually in school and one of the staff said it's a continuous act of being unpleasant something along those lines it doesn't have to be Bullying can just be one incident, but what about just generic unkindness? That's going to have a lasting effect on a child, on their confidence, on whether they feel they're accepted, um, whether they're scared to go and interact with that um, other person again. I think we just need to um, teach more kindness, kindness to things, the planet, even like picking up litter is showing kindness to the environment, to the planet, kindness to animals 
kindness to obviously each other, kindness to ourselves. So many of the girls that I teach hate their appearance or they're finding fault in their inabilities, their perceived inabilities, because they're all very able, but their flaws or their perceived kind of lackings. And I'm forever telling them, you've got to be kinder to yourselves. You're doing your best. You've been equipped with this and therefore you can't do more than what you're equipped with or this is your capacity and you're reaching your capacity right now. So be kind to yourself. This is how you look. You can't change your height. You can't change your size. You can't change your skin. So learn to love it and be kind. So that is absolutely something we need to teach ourselves as well as adults. But all of this, as mentioned before, starts and has most effect when people are in their adolescence. Because what we learn and what we are taught as children informs the people we become. So this is so important. Perspective, that ties into having really narrow teachings and and narrow viewpoints. We need to open up kids' perspectives so that they realise that they are not right or wrong, they just have one opinion. Or this is not how it is only, because then when it doesn't go that way, they're not going to have the, the tools to be able to cope and deal. We need to teach kids that it can be multiple different ways. I think I was pretty flawed because I wasn't taught that it doesn't always follow A, follows B, follows C, or it's not always black and white. I, I was led to believe, and this might be part of my personality as well, but that things were the way they were, full stop. And so when they didn't go that way, I didn't have the tools to cope. I didn't even know that it could be a different way. Therefore, I couldn't understand it and I couldn't deal with it. So we just need to let kids know that it can be lots of different ways. Ideally, something will go like this, but sometimes it goes like this. And then it's not so overwhelming and shocking. Um, And then um, authenticity. And I think this is huge. I reckon this is a a topic all in itself because there might be some eyes being rolled in terms of kids exploring different ways that they identify in gender or binaries or sexuality. Um, And it's a whole new concept to be so authentic that you are questioning even your gender. Um, And because that is a whole topic in itself and it's so complex, I'm not really going to go there. That's the the extreme and that's where we're at in society now, especially with youth. But what I mean by authenticity is just let people find their own way to their own selves. And obviously, kids do not know who they are until they become adults. I have no idea who I was as a 12-year-old, as a 15-year-old, as a 20-year-old. I'm still figuring out who I am, but I had to go off on these weird trends and tangents and shave my hair off and wear quote-unquote boys' clothes and then go down this spiritual path. I went to church for a while there and I tried this job and then I've tried this job and I've dated these people, now I'm dating these people. Unless I have given myself the opportunity to be authentic, and we, unless we teach people that it is okay to be themselves, whatever that looks like, that pe- we're never going to be able to become who we're meant to become. So 
I went to a very regimented uh, school. You could only wear blue woolly knickers and they would even check. How ridiculous is that? You didn't even have the um, authenticity to be able to choose your own knickers. And you could only wear a blue or a white bubble, hair bubble, one of those higher lackey things. And you could only wear black Dot Martin shoes indoors. Like it was so regimented. We were all little clones. And I, I couldn't spread my wings and I couldn't glow and I couldn't be the person who I didn't even know I was. I didn't even get an opportunity to meet my authentic self until I left that environment. So I think it's really important to teach that it is okay to be authentic, whatever that looks like. And on, alongside that, it's really important to teach that if you are practicing your authenticity and meeting new sides to yourself, it might be that people don't understand that and don't understand you and you might not then fit in or be socially accepted but that is the price you pay for authenticity. I'd rather be authentic and not be fully embraced by everybody than fit in, be like a clone and follow the crowd and be kind of shallow, shallowly, kind of fakely liked by everybody. That is a bigger life lesson and that's one that even adults struggle with. But I just hope that we can teach kids to be authentic and that it's okay if not everybody loves you when you are being your true authentic self. So, where are we? 33 minutes. I will end on this before I then go into the uh, second half where I'm going to be chatting to my sister. Um... How we teach, and I'm not just talking about teachers, I'm talking about us, everybody, everyone listening to this, we're all teaching. How we teach is predominantly through our actions, not really through what we say. So with that in mind, if you're trying to teach your child or your uh, teenager or your nephew or whatever to not be on their phone so much, get off your damn phone. If you're trying to teach people not to swear, stop swearing. If you're trying to teach people to eat healthily, start eating healthily yourselves. You're getting the idea. If you want to be teaching people to be more active, be more active. Likewise, if you yourself are trying to teach yourself how to be um, someone who meditates more, stop following people and being influenced by people who don't meditate. If you want to teach yourself how to play the piano, you're not going to watch a guitarist, you're going to watch a pianist. If you want to teach yourself French, you're not going to go to Spanish lessons. So it is so obvious, but we need to do the thing that we need to learn ourselves, but we also need to act out and do the very thing that we're hoping to teach those around us. Super simple concept, but I just thought I'd remind us because we've probably forgotten and saying things but not doing them is really annoying and really ineffective so stop saying come on everyone let's get off our phones and then stay on your phones lecture finished and we're going to go over to a chat with my amazing sister miss robinson crutchley i don't know if she's robinson crutchley actually or just robinson i will find out now Hello, Miss Robinson. <laughs> Hello, hi, darling. 
Wait, is it Miss Robinson or Miss Robinson Crutchley or just Miss Crutchley, Mrs. Crutchley? So in school, I'm Mrs. Robinson. I can't believe I had to ask that. Hello, yeah. you're my sister. Anyway, hi. 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 Oh, this is so nice. Um, right, you don't have long because you are literally about to go and teach. And um, I've already kind of done half of a recording that people have okay. got to this far in the in the episode. Thank you so much. Um, yes, we've spoken already about teaching, the importance of teaching, and um, a priv- the privilege that is teaching, and the influence that certain teachers have on people for the rest of their lives. So I just thought, well, what better opportunity to speak to a teacher and get a little bit about your experience and why you went into it and what you've um, experienced over how long? A decade? How long have you been teaching? Yeah, so I've been teaching for um, 12 years. I think this is my 13th year. So I've been based um, in the same school for that time. But I suppose throughout my time here, I've had the opportunity to go and look at other schools and worked in a range of year groups. So I've sort of seen a spectrum of teaching, really. Um, I mean, I got into teaching all because of uh, Miss Honey on Matilda, actually. Did you? Where, yeah. Oh my God, Em, you've never told me that. And, you and look that's a bit what, like her, actually. That's well, so that's cute. Well, that's what the say at school. Uh... So we had to... We, ha- uh, we were doing a little bit of um, work around uh, some writing and we watched a clip of Matilda to try and get some of the emotions across by looking at the dad. And the children were like, oh, you look like Miss Honey. And I was like, oh, thank you. Thank um, you. So, yeah. Funny you should say that because actually I've modelled my life off of her. Oh, so, yeah. Um... So, yeah. <laughs> oh, Em, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, many, many years ago. And then I just, I think through our own education, there were some teachers that really inspired me um, and some that um, maybe didn't so as much. Who and are I yours? Because I mentioned that already about um, obviously my art teacher and then Nigel, the deputy head. Obviously, yes. I went, just to explain to the listeners, we sound quite different because I spent a bit longer at a private school, but... Um, I don't know why I sound so posh and you actually live up in Leeds so you don't sound we don't sound like sisters do we but um yeah I think your schooling experience was probably a bit different you're also a twin I reckon that's got something to do with it because there's always this comparison of do we teach kids the same I remember we had twins in our year group and and teachers always just taught them like they were the same individual cut in half they don't have yes. their own identities. So who are your teachers initially that um, you just come to mind where you think, oh, my gosh, those teachers were epic. I love them. And they informed who I am today. So I remember um, somebody in I can't remember a name exactly, but it escaped me now. But in Kemsey Primary School, so actually in my primary school, there was a lady there who had a huge impact on me. Oh, that's um, years ago. No wonder you don't remember her name. That was like 30 years ago. ago. Yeah. Um, I'll remember it after now I will remember it later but she sort of I just remember the things that she used to teach us and how she used to teach us and that sort of nurturing environment um so she was fantastic um and then you'll remember our netball coach at um at, at high school Mrs Fitch uh, Mrs. Wil- Mrs Wilson oh, Mrs. Now, Mrs Wilson, Wilson. Yeah. she's like Miss Trunchbull talking of Matilda but- she always looked a bit Trunchbull-esque do you think she was um she had elements of her that actually I think I needed at that time you know that sort of motivation the you need to work hard 
um, to achieve something. And actually, I think that's what teaching's all about. You need a bit of both. You know, I always say firm but fair. And I think that's kind of how she was, really. You know, you didn't get picked for the teams unless you were fit and ready and you showed the attributes that you needed. And yeah, I think yeah. that's a good... I really think that's a good... Um, something that I try and continue into my teaching, you know. Um, it's that intrinsic motivation for the pupil themselves. Um, and also, I think the way that, that children achieve that is by having not challenges but actually having to achieve something and maybe um you know show that they can do something and they can achieve it in a way that that maybe they haven't been able to do before because i think the the motivation that a child gets from that and they are to achieve it on on their own or with their peers is far more significant than me just telling them yeah it's it's interesting you say that because I spoke before we jumped on this call about five fundamental life skills that I think are integral to learn throughout the school period and the top one was resilience and I do Mm -hmm. worry for the I don't know how much you know (laughs) it's crazy that we're sisters but I I don't we don't really share our work life but I work in schools all the time um not as a Mm -hmm. teacher as an art therapist and um, one of the things I'm slightly worried about is this next generation seems to not have much resilience, whether that's emotional resilience, um, self-resilience, feeling okay in themselves and like their confidence levels, because there's so much comparison with social media and stuff, but also just resilience to just try hard. I feel, unfortunately, a lot of kids, and this is probably very different to your demographic of students, but a lot of kids just get given whatever they need and also get given a lot of what they don't actually need. And they've got the latest gadgets and toys and shoes and fashion, which I appreciate isn't probably the case for your students. But yeah, harnessing and and really growing resilience, I think, is a challenge that teachers have to have to work hard at at doing. And I'm really surprised you said Miss Wilkinson, because she didn't. uh, Yeah, I just didn't think that she would be top of your list. But um, that's awesome that, that she's had that lasting effect on you. Um, what would you say, other than harnessing resilience uh, and and getting that balance between being supportive and sort of um, pushing is probably the wrong word, but, you know, like guiding strongly, mm-hmm. what would you say are some other responsibilities you have? And I'm just going to preface that question by saying I've just done my mental health youth first aid course with 25 teachers and all of the staff said that they expect they think that parents expect teachers to teach life skills to teach wellness to teach mental health to teach like just kind of a level of emotional ability that actually is the parents responsibility so big loaded question but do you think there's a lot of responsibility for teachers these days to do the kind of parenting side as well as teaching subjects I don't think necessarily it's a responsibility. I just feel like as um, an education system, and especially within our school, we feel that for children to achieve their best, they need to have elements of other areas. So emotional, social, um, you know, cognitive, as well as if we talk about PE, the physical element. Um, And we're very much intertwine that within our curriculum um, because, you know, personal development is so important, not only for children, but for teachers and for parents. Um, And, and, you know, to try and triangulate school, home life and and bring in those elements of the, uh, the emotional side and the social side 
I wouldn't say it's necessarily something that we feel like we have to do, but I feel like it very much benefits the children. Um, yeah. You know, if they are well within themselves, if they are feeling mentally strong, if they have those attributes um, and that growth mindset, which is something we, we do a lot of within our school is the growth mindset that actually, you know, I can achieve this rather than saying I can't. It's I can, but maybe I need these skills to help me or use these resources to support me. I think actually you end up with children that are then going into the higher education with um more resilience and with more tools in their toolkit to sort of um you know uh, achieve things and also to um any sort of barriers that come towards them or anything that they may find stressful they've got that toolkit to then try and work it out for themselves um, yeah. and, and hopefully you know make them we want them to be as supported as possible going out into the wider world. The wider world isn't as it used to be. Things are definitely changing. As that was my um, next yeah. question. Do you feel like since you've been in the industry as a teacher, the need but also the amount of self-development has grown? Do you feel like that's more of a focus now in schools or do you think it was always there but maybe not done in the same way or because I I'm obviously working in that space in wellness and mental health and I feel like finally schools here in Australia are recognizing the importance of it so can you can you see quite a difference from when you started over a decade ago to the level of investment in that area now I think there I think obviously COVID's had a huge impact um, and there were reports out with children's mental health and levels of fitness after the COVID um and, and just sort of documentation since then. I think it's always been there. It's always been sort of underlying, but having um, had children that, you know, have missed out on the best part of two years of their education due to being, um, you know, classrooms closing or bubbles closing and then part teaching, online teaching. I think um, it's really brought it to the forefront. It was a very stressful time, I know, for children, for parents. Um, and that is ultimately going to have a knock on effect, you know, and also those social elements that we talked about just weren't there because you are mm -hmm. at home, um, you know, with your family. Those, you know, school is such a fantastic place to nurture relationships, to have those discussions, to sort of raise questions and answer them in a, in a supportive way. So I think it has always been there. But I know that since COVID, there's been more of a sort of... Um, Focus on it, probably. Focus on it, yeah, yeah. because of, um, you know, the data that came out off the back of COVID, basically. Um, and I suppose as a school and as an education system, we are then having to manage not only those bits of education that children may have missed, but actually those elements of, especially for our children that were just coming through nursery at that time, you know, those fine motor skills, those social skills, the sharing um, and that's not to say that children are so resilient. They will, you know, they have bounced back, but it's just um, how we then intertwine that within our curriculum to ensure the longevity of it and to make sure that it's sustainable. Um, yeah. And those skills are, are learnt now so that they can use them throughout their lives. It's obviously quite soon after COVID. I, I amazingly feels like a distant memory. Um, I don't know if it's doing the rounds again back in England, but I forgot. You, like you can go weeks without hearing the word or you kind of it's so in the past now which is amazing but are you seeing any effects of it or is it too early to to see that in the classroom 
No, I think um, we're sort of a couple of years after, really, when it hit. But I mean, you know, in terms of the curriculum and what wasn't taught and what has been taught and what was missed, you know, we had a couple of years of trying to not catch up, but just fill those areas or ensure that children had the knowledge to be able to move on to the next stage or the next year group. Um mm. Because when we were in class and when we were teaching, it was, you know, just for those children that were key worker places. Um, and it was very much individualised for the needs of the children at the time. So although we were looking at the curriculum as a whole, it was making sure that we were, um, you know, supporting the children that were in school at that time. So, I mean, there is and ultimately always will be an impact from COVID. But I think it's how quickly a school responds to that and also what the priorities are on the school um, school improvement plan, you know, yeah. and what their sort of three year plan is. Uh, I feel like we're very much aware of um, what we need to do. And I think a lot of schools are, you know, they're very clued up and they're very tuned in to the children, the needs of the children as well. And I feel like, um, you know, that's amazing because it's given the children the best support and the best start, restart, yeah. if you like, after COVID going forward. Yeah, awesome. Um, I want to bring it back to you more personally. Mm. I, I didn't prep you with any questions, but no. what fundamentally is the umbrella reason that you teach, or other than Miss Honey from Matilda, what yeah. do you get out of it? Like, what is your buzz buzz feeling or you think oh god this is why I love my job do you know I just I was thinking about this last night because I had um I had someone come in to sort of look at me go through my subject specific thing that I, that I sort of look after I think I first and foremost just really enjoy working with children I there is never a day where I just don't feel so lucky to be in this job and to be given this opportunity to work with so many children but I think also it's um, you know their faces when they um, are doing uh, achieving things you know when they're when they are working with their peers when they're problem solving you know when you give them a challenge or you say right here's your tools let's see what you come up with and they can then harness all the the tools that they've, we've already given them and they're yeah. able to achieve things and the faces at the end and their sense of achievement and their enjoyment is is just fantastic you know and that's ultimately what you want you want children to be happy in education you want children to feel like they're succeeding um yeah. and that they are having belief in themselves that they can achieve anything um it's really I interesting that you say that it doesn't surprise me your answer because i heard a headmaster at a school that i work at um say primary school teachers usually love students love kids love working with the kids secondary school student um secondary school teachers usually love subjects and then I've already spoken about it in this in this pod that there's this really challenging transition when a primary school kid aged child goes from that setting to a setting where the, the subject becomes the priority and becomes the sort of focus and then the child themselves gets a bit lost in in the kind of the order of the day of having to just go through subjects. I thought that was really fascinating. I'd never really thought of it so black and white before that primary teachers love students, secondary teachers love subjects. So I think there's that uh, we need to do more in the secondary school space to really make students feel like they are still a priority and they're still valued and they're still important because 
um, I can even think of our education at Alice Otley where I don't feel like they really cared about us as individuals. It was about what grades we got for the school to make the school look good, which is quite toxic um, and unfair on the students, I think, to put that pressure on them. Um, have you got, again, another question I've not prepped you for, but have you just got a, an example that comes to mind that you just think, wow, how, like to, to really summarise that privilege you feel or an, or an occasion that happened, you think, God, I'm beaming with pride or I'm going to well over with like happy tears or just an example of one or two kids that just created something or did something that just thought, oh, my gosh, how cool is that? You no, know, I think... I think it happens really, um, honestly, you know, daily. There are things and there's snippets of things that you see and you just think, wow. You know, whether it be, um, um, so one of my first year students comes back and he always speaks to me and he's always like, oh, you know, everything you did for me and he remembers me and he takes the time out to come and speak to me, which is just brilliant. But even so, past students, but even as I say, when you take them on residentials or um, I'm heavily involved in the PE side, you know, you take them to an experience outside of school that they may not have experienced before. Um, and, and just the joy on their faces, um, you know, and bringing it back to the classroom. There's a little girl the other day who had, um, had, had not struggled with something, but was taking, a, you know, her time to understand how to do fractions um and and she got it and she literally just said to herself yes you know out loud oh. like she was just so proud of herself that she that's another that. another um, segue um what is there that you teach and this is probably controversial but don't you think why am I teaching this like honestly do we really need to teach fractions still in school are there subject matters you think mm, I don't know because I've also spoken about the what was left out in our education and that's obviously um subjective i felt we weren't taught enough about otherworldly issues especially religious education i think we watched one video of gandhi and that was it so is there anything that you think it's a, you don't see that there's no point in teaching it but you think oh is there value in this and then is there anything subject wise that you think god i wish i could teach a bit more of this do you know, I think we have such a good balance of all subjects. I think, um, you know, our curriculum leaders within school have a really clear idea of what children need. We very much do it from the need of the children. I know we have the national curriculum, but actually that can be interpreted in a number of ways. And I think it's very much based on the school's individual plan, um, you know, their, their cohorts, their children. I think we've got a really, really good balance and I see value in everything because a lot of what we do is interlinked with other subjects or it's interlinked with this whole child development that we've sort of developed where we are looking at skills, like I said, in terms of emotional, physical, cognitive um, and, and children, you know, they, they receive bibs if they can show that. So it's not just one element we're looking at each different part and every subject brings with it challenges and it's how we can develop those children to um, have those intrinsic motivations and build the skills that they need to be successful so you know every subject leader will will probably want to have a higher percentage of their subject on the curriculum but mm. actually as a whole every single subject intertwined together is what's going to build for a well-rounded child to then succeed in, in in the rest of their life yeah awesome oh my gosh I mean I want to come to your school Em you make it sound so amazing <laughs> um, I'm going to end with some quick fire round questions okay. um what is your morning tea situation here we call it morning tea so like 
I don't know what time, 10.30, do you have a cup of tea and a certain biscuit, How a bit of squash? You personally as a teacher, what's your go-to? Um, I decaf coffee in the morning and then we do break duty and I don't, I just tend to have a banana. Oh God, you're so healthy. <laughs> decaf coffee. Um, what's your favourite subject to teach? Oh, well, I mean, it has to be PE because that is just my, I love PE, everything about PE, yeah. Yeah. Um, what's your favourite outfit? Always, always a classic sort of Miss Honey dress tight, black <laughs> boots and a little, you know, black cardi. Yeah, yeah, you do rock a cardi. You wear a cardi well. <laughs> you're really, you're really tall as well. We should let everyone know I'm actually the shortest in the family. So you're, are you six foot? I reckon you're six foot. Five ten, five ten. Five ten. I'm five, yeah, I thought I was five ten. Um, uh, oh, I've run out of questions. I was going to say favourite student, but you can't answer that one. You love them all, don't you? Absolutely. Love them all. Um, um, thanks so much. I appreciate you actually do have to go and teach now. But um, that was really lovely. And you were so yeah. professional. You didn't have to be so pro. But um, thank you for your time. Um, we'll catch up over Christmas, hopefully. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you. And, um, you know, it's great to have these conversations because I know that... Um, you know, not every teacher feels the same. Not every teacher may feel in education that they're having a good ride. I have to say, um, I am incredibly lucky where I am and I feel incredibly mm. privileged. Um, well, they're so, blooming yeah. lucky to have you um, because you don't work in, uh, you work in a state school, you work in a primary school without huge amounts of funding. It's in quite a low socioeconomic area. So it's certainly not the kind of education that we were lucky enough to have. Yeah. Although... I would say all your students are luckier than we were because I think you're an amazing teacher and a beautiful person. So thank you so much. I mean, I would say that you're my sister, but I love you loads. So thank you for everything you've done for all the oh, all of your no, students. No problem at all. All right. Well, um, get right. back to class, Miss Robinson, thank and we'll you. catch up soon. Thank okay. You. Bye. Bye.